I assure you I will get you out in good time tonight because I am very, very thrilled with what's happening. You know, though I'm a preacher, I still love my nation very much. And I'm happy that I'm an American. And uh, I guess I was especially happy today when I realized that our men were up there. I couldn't help but think, you know, I, uh, Neil Armstrong will be the first man. I thought, uh, I remember back when, number my years a little bit, but I remember a fellow I used to hear about in books, Jack Armstrong, and I thought they should have had his name Jack instead of Neil, you know, because Jack Armstrong was always doing things like that too. But uh, it's truly a thrill. I thought tonight, for the few minutes we have together, that I would like to use the psalm that is being planted on the moon. Uh, as you know, although uh, I know Frank Denton had, uh, had written Neil Armstrong for, and had received an answer from him, uh, our Frank Denton here, who wrote the track that you see outside on uh, Pollis and the Lum, the uh, Lem, I should say, uh, that has been developed by Grumman. He had written Neil Armstrong and asked him if it would be possible to put a copy of the scripture on the moon. And he did receive an answer, and the answer was that it had been pretty well prearranged. All the things that would go on, I think they had asked 78 leaders of the world or something to put something on the moon. Well, the Pope picked Psalm 8. And so Psalm 8 is going on the moon. Uh, that will be the first portion of Scripture that will be on the moon. I might have wished it had been Billy Graham, but uh, it's the Pope, so let's look at Psalm 8, because Psalm 8 has much to say to us. No matter who puts it there, it doesn't make much difference, because it is a great psalm. It's a psalm of David. And, of course, David always speaks to us of Christ. We think of the messianic, messianic psalms of David and how much they speak to us about the Lord Jesus. I'll read the, the psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heaven. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou might still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Well, to remember that. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
Now, first, I'd like to just say that uh, how I wish that the name of the Lord was excellent to all men on the earth. That would be tremendous. You notice the scripture here doesn't say, O Lord, how excellent is thy name throughout all the earth, but O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Not just Lord, but our Lord. That makes all the difference in the world because the scripture says that no man calleth Jesus Lord except by the Spirit of God. And so when it says our Lord, then we understand the excellency of the name of our blessed Savior. I often think the prayer, you know, where Jesus says, when ye pray, pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. And then I think to myself that most of the people praying our Father don't have him as a Father, that it is a ritualistic prayer to most, that is no possibility of saying our Father unless you have come to him through Jesus Christ. It's not possible to call him Father except by the Lord Jesus. We're told that the only way we can become sons of God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and the only one can call God Father is a son of God. So the only possibilities of calling him either Lord or Father are through the Spirit of God. And so unless that is in the heart, the excellency of our God is not much thought of. But here the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And the earth, as we read in the psalm that uh, Ernie had read, the earth bears the witness to the awesome majesty of our God. It bears it in the firmament. It bears it in the stars, in everything we look at. But man created in God's image and likeness bears, beloved, witness to only one thing. He is alienated and afar off from God, a soul lost in sin. Isn't that tragic? The, the earth witnesses to the majesty of God. Man witnesses to the lostness of his soul. And wherever we look around us, wherever man is touched, and sorry to say, I, I wish I could say, you know, that... Uh, it's a great thing to get up to the moon, but I have to say that sin just touched the moon. Because man is a sinner. And there's none righteous, no, not one. I couldn't help but think that as I read some of the things it had to say about the moon, it said it'll be a great help to mankind because now we have a place to dump all of our garbage. This was with one of the top scientists. He said, it is a barren field. Now we can ship all of our nuclear leftovers and all of our garbage to the moon. Man finally has a place to throw his waste away. Thoughts like that really shock you, don't they? Huh? But this is what science thinks of the possibilities of the moon and what the moon can mean. 
And so here is man going to the moon, priding himself upon his own accomplishments, and yet forgetting that he is only here because God made him of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the very breath of life. And he owes the very life he has to the God who made it all. All things were made by him and for him, and without him was nothing made that was made, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth or things under the earth. All things were made by him and for him, and by him all things consist or hold together. And so this is the God that we worship. And here he says, O Lord, our Lord. Oh, how that thrills my heart. Is he your Lord tonight? Our Lord. How blessed and how different it is. How different it is for you or I to say, Father, I love thee. Jesus, thou art my Savior. I bring myself to thee. Lord, live through my life. Breathe through me, through thy Holy Spirit. Use me as an instrument of thy righteousness. May I yield my members as instruments of righteousness unto thee and not instruments unto sin. For I am no longer under the dominion of sin. For the law could do nothing for me but grace and the power of Christ and the indwelling Christ did. How different it is than going to God like those who are steeped in their traditionalism and saying, Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. I think this kind of prayer is not from the believing heart. I never would have a son come to me and talk to me that way. Oh, mighty Father. <laughs> maker of this and maker of that. No. When I came to God through Jesus Christ, he became my father and I could open my heart to him. I acknowledged him long before as the God who made heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. But when I found Christ as my personal savior and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in my breast by faith, then I called him father. We call him Abba Father by the Spirit of God. And so when we say, O Lord, our Lord, how different it sounds. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Why do I say that as a believer? Because there is no other name given amongst men under heaven whereby all men must be saved. Thou hast a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Here's the name that's above every name in heaven and earth. And here the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Beloved, it is excellent in all the earth, but oh, how excellent it is in my heart tonight. Is it excellent in your heart tonight? Do you know him? Do you rejoice? Oh, I rejoice that our our astronauts are walking up there on the moon, around the moon. Hard to imagine, isn't it? I thought of the years of planning and $24 billion, I believe, to get a man on the moon and the power of the rockets that sent the man 
three men, all of the minds that had to work on it, looking at the center with all of the gadgetry, looking at the, at the missile, at the, at the lamb, at each part. And then I think, how my God who loves me so deeply through that simple act of the faith in Christ is one day going to transmit me from earth to heaven in a moment of time and glorify me and fashion me like unto Jesus Christ with a glorified body. Is any of the power of man equal to that? The mighty power of the living God. Oh, it's wonderful, beloved, that we've gone from earth to the moon but I'm so thankful that I'm going from earth to heaven. And this is a place where no man can ever intrude. Notice the next part of that verse. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Notice that. Above the heavens. How that should thrill our hearts tonight above the heavens. Man may approach, beloved, the atmospheric heavens, but nothing that defiles, no sinner can ever enter heaven. All that is an abomination can never enter there. No astronaut, lest he be redeemed in the blood of Christ, he may explore the moon. He'll never explore heaven. Heaven will be explored by the redeemed of the Lord. God has made sure that we understand that eye hath not seen, and our eyes are going to see tonight if everything goes right. At nine o'clock, our eyes are going to walk with the astronauts on the surface of the moon. Can you conceive of this, that you're living in this day? That they're going to walk and your eyes will see the surface of the moon. Hard to believe is... If you were to get out tonight and there were a full moon out there, and to look up there and to think two men are on the moon. It's the only life, human life, on the moon. And their eyes will see it. And yet God has said, I hath not seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. So no matter what we see, no matter how far they go, and I'm sorry to say that some theologians and some preachers sometimes said, man will never get to the moon. Don't you fool yourself. Man will get further than the moon. It may be that before the Lord comes, he'll get out to Mars. I don't know. What will it take? 400 and some odd days to get to Mars? Three years or four years to Saturn? Sure, it may be. It's entirely possible. Nothing's wrong here. God has given man tremendous capacity. Do you remember the portion I just read here where it says down there, Thou hast, what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over what? The works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet. 
And it tells us that all the planets, as Ernie read tonight, from the fingertips of God, all these things came into being. And man is finally to have dominion over all of this. He's finally to be the one, the redeemed man, the governors of the universe. For God has predetermined that, that the redeemed of the Lord shall be those who will sit with Christ upon his throne and shall be those, as he said, some shall rule a few cities and some many cities, and I hath not seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. Beloved, I don't care whether you've been to Yosemite, I don't care where you've gone, you haven't seen anything yet. And it's going to take all eternity plus. That's a hard, you know, that's like saying infinity plus, isn't it, huh? To see it all. To see it all. We haven't seen anything. Listen, even the things which man can tell us with his large telescope, that there are constellations and constellations and constellations larger than this constellation and that the space is expanding at the speed of light. That's what they believe. Space is expanding at the speed of light so that no matter how fast we went, we could never get there. Isn't that a thought? Long Island Railroad or no? <laughs> Notice what it says, who has set thy glory above the heavens. His glory is above the heavens in glory. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ is glorified? And do you remember Peter, James, and John? They fell as dead at his feet before the glory. I find no one falling dead when they get up to the moon. I don't think any planet will ever awe us that much. They fell as dead at his feet because of the celestial glory of his very being. So his glory is above the heavens in actuality. The heavens themselves. Notice that. The glory, thy glory is above the heavens. In actual glory, he is more glorious than all of the heavens. We look at the stars, we look at the moon, we look at all that we see, we look at all the beauty, and we see all the beauty of Jesus Christ far beyond all of these. He's the fairest of 10,000, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon. He's the lovely one. Unto you who believe he is precious. This is the one who is far beyond all the heavens. His glory is above the heavens, and his name should be exalted. And then, beloved, it says, Thy glory above the heavens is above the heavens in approach. We cannot possibly, we can go up to the moon, we can use all the power we want to get to these different bodies around us, but we never can approach God by any power that we contain not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. That's the only possibility to approach to God. There's no other possibility. We cannot approach Him except through one single way, 
and Jesus Christ is that way. He has opened the door. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall come in and go out and find pasture. And so here is what faith does. Faith transmits us into the very presence of God. And by faith tonight, we're seated already in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, how far beyond the astronauts this is. How far beyond the finite mind of man that I am already seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And the very glory which Christ has, he's going to give to me. And that glory is above the glory of all the heavens and all the heavenly bodies. We will have bodies fashioned like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ and will need no great rocket ships to take us throughout the universe because we have a body fashioned like unto the body of Jesus Christ. This is the mark of faith in the heart. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? How blessed it is to rejoice in a faith like this. This faith transcends anything that is possible. One other thing, it says, His glory is above the heavens, and it is above the heavens, beloved, in invasion. It's not possible to invade the domain of God. I'm sure that as they go up to the moon and they get to Mars and they get to Saturn, if they do before the Lord comes, if they reach these places, I am sure I'm going to hear the statement time and again, there's no God up there. You remember when the first Russian astronauts went up? That was the statement. We didn't find God up there. Well, I want to tell you, no matter how far out they go, they'll never find God. Because no man can see God and live. No, no man can behold that glory and live. And the only possibility of a man seeing God and living is that we're going to have glorified bodies and glorified eyes and glorified in every way and we will be able to behold him and see him face to face as First John tells us. For I have not seen nor hear heard the glories which God has prepared for them that love him. And one of the glorious things is we're going to see Jesus face to face. Behold, now are the son we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we shall see him as he is, and we shall be what? Like him. Do you believe that? Oh, listen to me. What you have before you is more than any astronaut will ever experience unless he's a redeemed soul. I don't know anything about the faith of Armstrong. I heard his mother. I'm thrilled that when they asked her a question today, at least she said something that thrilled my heart. She said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I was thrilled to hear that. And then she said, just pray that they'll get back safely. But beloved, no matter how far they may travel, no matter how far out man may go, and he may seek to go out farther and farther and farther, yet, beloved, in our hearts, we can know that we have not yet seen the things which God has prepared for those that love him. One last thought. And that is this portion here where the psalmist speaks of God hath made man 
a little lower than the angels. Now, Paul expounds that over in Hebrews, the second chapter. Paul expounds this very portion and says in the seventh verse or the sixth verse, he says, now one in a certain place said this, and he is quoting the Psalm of David. Here's what he says. Now one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? See, he's quoting the Psalm. Or the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him, man, a little lower than the angels. Thou didst crown him with glory and honor and didst set him over the work of thy hands. This is God's original intention for mankind. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. Now I want you to take in the planets here, all right? All in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Now listen to the next sentence. But now, and this is not in the psalm, now we see not yet all things put under him. This is the fall of man. Man fell. God's position, which he had placed man in, created in his own image and likeness to have dominion over all that he made. He fell. And in the fall, some glorious new revelation, as it tells us, not revealed in times past, but in types and shadows showed in the Old Testament, a new thing hidden, a secret thing, a mystery came to pass. Now notice what it says. But we see Jesus. Man fell. How will he ever have dominion now? It's past. His chances are through. He'll never have dominion over it all. But notice what he does. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Why? That he might restore us to that position which we had with God before in a more glorious way than we had. Then we were his creation. Now we are his sons and he's restored the redeemed. For Christ paid the penalty of death that we might go free and that one day God might give us his original intention, all that he ever made, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth or things under the earth, all things were made by him and for him and by him all things consist and we are joint heirs with Christ of his kingdom. Isn't that tremendous? You see what he did? He took the psalm and he says, but Jesus, man fell, so we see not all things under dominion of him. But Jesus came. 
Jesus died. Jesus set us free. And through faith in his finished work on the cross of Calvary, we die with Christ. We're alive on the resurrection side of the grave. We share in his glory and we share in his kingdom. And all the things that God gave to Adam originally will be ours eventually. And all the universe shall be part of that great vast kingdom under the domain of the man God made redeemed in the blood of Christ. What a tremendous thing. Yes, to the moon. Wonderful. Praise God. I'm so thankful for it. But oh, listen to me, my beloved ones. Are you thankful tonight for what God has given you? Are you sharing in his kingdom? Notice what he says in that Hebrews down just below that. It says in the 10th verse, for it became him, notice, for whom are all things, notice this, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. Are you part of this? To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified, you and I, are all one. For which cause? He is not ashamed to call you his brethren. Oh, amazing grace. Part of the family of God and the brethren of Jesus Christ through faith in the cross of Calvary and the Savior who arose from the dead and is alive, ever living to make intercession for us, our high priest forever and ever and ever. And we, a generation of priests and kings unto our God. Oh, the celestial glory that shall be ours. Why, we ought to be walking as though we're walking beyond the moon. <laughs> I don't know how those two men feel, but I want to tell you, you should have a deeper and a richer feeling in your heart because of the journey you're on. You're on a journey to heaven. I don't know if you even conceive of it. I don't even know if you've touched the hem of his garment yet, Jesus Christ. But I know that once you get this down deep in your heart, every other thing will seem just so insignificant, as glorious as it may be, as far as man is concerned. As far as God is concerned, he has one primary object, and it isn't for man to explore the moon or explore Mars or Saturn or anything else. He has one primary object, that is to bring man to himself, redeemed in the death and the blood of Jesus Christ, that he might restore man to that place of government and power over all creation. That's his purpose. I hope you're part of it. Be ashamed to miss it. You're missing the trip to the moon. Well, you don't have to miss the trip to heaven. But you've got to have Christ as your Savior. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for Psalm 8. We're glad it's going up there. It's going to be planted on the moon. We're thankful for that. But, Lord, more than that, we're thankful for our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that that work on the cross of Calvary was the means of our redemption. Father, we pray tonight that every heart here might rejoice in that. Oh, we pray much for our astronauts. Father, we ask thee tonight that as we go home and 
They take that first step on unknown territory, never been touched. The first time a man has ever set his foot on any place outside this earth. Father, we're living in very portentous days, and we pray for them. Lord, protect them. We love them because they are Americans. We love all men everywhere because they're sinners, and they need Christ as their Savior. And Lord, we're praying one thing for these men. May the awesome majesty of this thing that's happening in their lives drive them to Christ. Oh, what a victory that would be. And how we pray that possibly some mother, some father, some wife of one of these, knowing Christ, might have their prayers answered. Or friends or loved ones, praying for their salvation more than they offer the trip to the moon, may see this thing happen in their lives. Father, bless every heart tonight. May we rejoice that though we're not on the moon tonight, we're on the road which takes us to heaven. We're so thankful for that. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've opened the door, that you are the door, and that we enter in through you. Bless our hearts, and may we rejoice in Christ tonight. In his name we pray, amen.